Okay, people, thanks for coming to part two of this week's Echo Chamber, and we are, this is going to be pretty interesting, it's going to be pretty bad, because we welcome back the great Johannes Mendelner. Yes, 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 we spoke to Johannes, Ooh, back just last year, right? Just last year. We seem to find it like it was a while but further back, but no. Last year, spoke to him about his um hearing, his last join. And uh yeah, Johannes has got a film coming. It's called Rathanes. So uh people, this is definitely Definitely going to be a fun one. So, buckle up. Let's go. Okay, people. So, first up, we have got Razzanest. Well, people, I've got to say, right? Johannes Grinsferner gave us something really different and original with Masking Threshold. And, yo, my man has done it again. He's done it again with his new piece called Razanet Nest. Right? This film is, I don't know, man. It's, it's crazy. It is straight crazy, which is so good, right? It is extremely interesting the way all of this just, oh man, just comes together, right? It's, uh, and I, I honestly say it's something I've not seen before, right? So Johannes, he writes and directs. Um, it is produced by, uh, we have Gumpfer Fresinger, Julian Gabart, um, Johannes, Jasmine Hagendorfer, executive, no executive, just, um, associate produced by David Fine, uh, Vad Gosman. Michael McEnroe, Antonio Rosa Lobo, Matthias Roda, Cedar Roda, and Robert Statchel. Music is from Alex Alec Empire. Cinematography is Florian Ufa, Deline Hoffman. And Ronald von den Sturman. Um, Johannes handles the editing. Uh, Jasmine Hagundofer is the um, assistant director as well. Man, our cast, it's a small cast, right? We've got um, Bibette Krosenshank is Played by what well, voiced by Sophie Kathleen Kuzlu. Manus Ostrizen is voiced by Michael Smulik. Right? 
Ellen Zampaloni is voiced by Anne Wiener. Hetty Frizenbickler is Ronald Gratzer. Pat Kirkpatrick is voiced by Jim Libby. Bob is voiced by Rob Rose. And Joe Dante. Well, Joe Dante is Joe Dante, right? Now, the gist of the flick is this. South African infant, terrible filmmaker and artiste cinast Manas Ossinzen meets with Rotten Tomatoes approved indie film critic Babette Cruikshank in an Echo Park sound studio with key members of Manus's crew joining. They record an audio commentary track for his new Illigak feature documentary, Razen Nest. But the session goes down a different path. The ultimate elevation of art house horror, just not as you might expect. Um, um, boom. And uh, yeah. Ah, oh, people, this is like, I just had no, no clue what to expect. But again, you know, AJ Furman, she hits me up, right? She is the person that, you know, introduced me to your Hannes, um, all the time back when uh, we looked at Manifest Threshold, you know, and that was a trip, right? That was a trip in itself. And that's crazy. That was just November last year, November 2021. It feels, boy, it, it feels a lot, um, well, like it was, ages ago, right? It, it feels like it was at least 2020, but no. So, you know, when she comes, you know, I've got to check it. And after, you know, having a great conversation with Johannes the first time, you know, and really enjoying Threshold, I had to give this a look. So I had no clue. I had no clue what to expect, right? And so initially, we have all these images, right? A load of, there's Christian iconology, um, you know, a lot of crosses and, 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 you know, Christ on crosses and all of that kind of stuff. And then we've got landscapes, right? But not, uh, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, your Lake Windermere landscapes, right? We have got, you know, dead trees, murky forests, holes, and, and, and things like that. But the crazy thing is, when you look at the imagery, there is this, I mean, there is this, like, beauty to it, right? Because when you see something derelict, in the middle of an empty field, you know, maybe a cloth over it, right? There, there's something about that, 
sometimes, not all the time, sometimes, right? And just the way nature is evolving, you know, or dying, right? We get to see all of this. And the imagery doesn't necessarily always fit with what is being said, but oftentimes, yeah, it does, right? And so, yeah, there's this weird symmetry to everything that we're watching, right? Now, on the flip, right, it is amusing, amusing, right? I should learn how to speak. It's amusing because, you know, we have this film director who is just, I'm all about the arts. I don't care about awards. And we've got this critic. And the thing that I, I really uh, smiled about, right? Because the amount of times, you know, you can watch something, right? Sometimes it's in art galleries, right? As well, where you have people looking at art or coming out after a film and going, oh, I, I obviously they were trying to say this and because that's why this happened and blah, blah, blah. When, right? Sometimes I've, you know, I've been talking with the director, right? Sometimes I've heard another interview and they've, they've said what the film was, what they were trying to do. And this person is trying to put this new profoundness on top of it all. And it's not the case, right? So you have this um, reviewer doing that and then the director shooting her down, right? And so it's this whole... You know, we've got this separate kind of drama taking place, right? It's meant to be this commentary track, this interview about the work. Then it just goes in this completely different direction, which is amusing as hell. Then we go straight horror, right? Straight horror, and it is... <laughs> people, it's a trip. This is a trip. You, I, I, man, yeah, I, I gotta say, it is is so original in you know what's being done that I think everyone should definitely take a look. Right? It really kind of just the way it's filmed. It reminds me of my friend Matthew Matt holds his work right if you ever seen matty's work it's a, a lot of crazy imagery at times you know but it, it's tied together with um sometimes it's lyrics from a song sometimes it's poetry sometimes it's his ramblings right and and this very it feels very similar to that right just really engaging and we've got like the voice cast really do a fantastic job because you know we, we have these really stunning visuals, right? But on their own, they are not going to keep you engaged necessarily for an hour and a half, right? So you you need this story. Right, you need these actors to really just sell it 
and god damn they really sell it they really sell it this is it's crazy right if you enjoyed masking threshold people johannes does not let us down with this new joint trust me so um i believe it's out on the festival circuit right now um <clears throat> so if you get the opportunity i highly highly recommend you um yeah checking out a razonest because you won't have seen anything like it it's a trip but it is fun as hell it is fun as hell people so go check it out right go check it out okay and now people it is time to welcome back the always great ah some really good conversation, right? We welcome back to Echo Chamber, Johannes Brinsflander. Okay, people, so if you've been a long time enjoyer of the podcast, you know who the hell we got right here. You know who we got. Now, if this is the first time, shame on you, but today on Echo Chamber, we have got the great Johannes Grenzen. Sorry, Johannes. I no, not, not bad, not bad. Actually, it's not a TH, it's just a T. It's just oh. like some weird medieval way in German to sometimes you spell the T with an H, but it's not a th, you know, it's just a T. It doesn't great. So the correct Austrian uh, German way to pronounce it is Grenzfurtner. Grenzfurtner. Yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> Johannes. Actually, there's, there's a fun story to it. So okay. my, my, my name really actually means so the first, like a grenz is a border, you know, mm-hmm. and the Furte is kind of like a shallow creek or ford or something like that. So, so technically in English, I'm Johnny Border Forda or something like that. So that's, that's, that, that's what I am, but, but enough with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Hey, I, we were just saying, right, because in my head, it, I was thinking we must have spoken in 2020, right? It must have been 2020 because that's when Masking Threshold was out, which yeah. was tearing up the festival scene, winning awards, changing the whole narrative of horror and docs and all of that, right? So if you're coming with a new film, yeah, it, it must have been 2020. But no, it was November last year, Johannes. It was November last year. I would guess if I would have released Masking Threshold in 2020, uh, I couldn't have spoken with you from uh, from North Carolina. I would have been banned from traveling to the U.S. because of COVID and all that stuff. But, but I mean, you're, you're completely right. Uh, 
it's it's kind of like 10 months or something that we that we spoke about masking threshold and uh and i can't believe my new film is out mm. <laughs> there's something weird this is a weird timeline i'm not used to <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah because like masking threshold was correct yeah but you're in north carolina and i remember as well you went to another i think another festival stateside because you bumped into my friend Matt to holes out there. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that was at at that was at Cookalores Festival. I think because. Yes. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was lovely. It was. Uh, I mean. It, it was the time when festivals were opening up again. I mean, I remember last year in September when uh, a masking threshold was screened, had, had premiere at Fantastic Fest. Fantastic Fest was, I mean, two weeks before Fantastic Fest, they didn't know if Fantastic Fest will happen in the physical space last mm. year. So it was really like all, all crazy still. And there weren't that many international guests because most of the people needed a special visa to get into the US. So I remember that it was a good thing because, you know, you sit around there, there are not that many guests uh, and you chat with people at the bar and then you realize, oh my God, that's just the, the CEO of Neon Pictures or something like that. You know, like it, 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 was, it was strange. There were not that many guests, but Quality-wise, it was super, super interesting to be there and, and be able to, to talk to so many people because usually you have like hundreds or thousands of people and you can never talk to everyone. Mm. And, and back then, it was, it was super, super exciting. But, you know, it's just like two months later for Kukulores Festival in November, uh, there were already like way more uh, people from Europe coming to the U.S. and... Uh, it was the time when the festivals kind of like started to kind of like start again. Let, let's let, let's call it that way. So, and uh, we'll see. Like in two weeks, I will be in Austin, Texas again for for Fantastic Fest this year because my film will again have premiere at Fantastic Fest. Nice. Um, and uh, so we'll see. I'll see the difference between the mm. 2021 and the 2022 Fantastic Fest. That would be interesting, man. That would be interesting. So how the hell do you get a new feature out so quickly? Like, what okay. happened there? <laughs> okay, so what, what happened was that on the 31st of January this year, like, really, like, the most stupid, like, cliche you can have, I took a shower. And while taking a shower, I had this idea and the very same day I started writing the script, the script was finished two weeks later, and the entire film was done mid of June. So between the 31st of January and mid of June, I made a feature film. And I submitted it to Fantastic Fest, and they took it, and a couple of other film festivals already also uh, accepted it, and I'm, I'm super happy. Uh, and it, it just... Out of nowhere. I mean, of course, like if, if if you're an artist or a creative person, nothing like comes out of nowhere. So there were, of course, 
fragments of the mm. idea or some interests already floating around in my head probably for a long, long, long time. And uh, there was one uh, thing that happened in November 2020 that uh, a friend of mine came to Vienna uh, to be our artist in residence. So the backstory is, so my name is Johannes and I'm part of this art collective and art group, but we're also a film production company uh, in recent years. And so our uh, main headquarters, they are at uh, uh, Museums Quarter and Museums Quarter is this uh, wonderful uh, kind of like art complex, uh, pretty much like right in the center of, uh, of Vienna. And uh, usually if you have such art spaces, uh, it's most of the time just like museums, you know, like the mm. Museum of, of Art History and the, museum, the uh, museum of Modern Art or whatever it is. Uh, in the case of uh, the Museum's Quarter in Vienna, uh, it's not only kind of like the mausoleums of art, but there are also around 60 art groups and creative agencies and people who are contemporary players and makers. Uh, in that space. So, so we have our small office there and there are, uh, there, for example, next door, there is uh, an institution uh, dealing with documenting uh, uh, art in, in, uh, in Austria. And next door, there is a little game development studio who they create board games and stuff like that. So there are lots of different interesting little groups or, or, or initiatives. And which makes it super interesting because mm. it's not, it's, there's something happening there. Yeah. And it's also subsidized so we can actually afford it. So we're not paying that much rent to have like a little office in the center of Vienna at this super prestigious uh, uh, art institution. And, and, and all of that is great. And one of the side effects is that we can, every now and then, we can invite people to Vienna and they are our, our, our artists uh, in residence. And the museum's quarter is kind of like uh, paying them a stipend uh, and they get a place to stay, like a studio slash apartment, and we can work with them. So, and last year, we had a great friend of mine, uh, Eric uh, MacGyver, and uh, he is a filmmaker that I actually met at Fantastic Fest last year uh -huh. because he, he attended uh, uh, the premiere of Masking Thresholds. And and so we started talking and, and we really liked each other. And I thought like, hey, would you like to come to Vienna for a month and be our artist in residence? And he agreed and then he came and um, we spent a great time together. And one of the things that he asked me to do is to give him a list of films from Austria of the last 20 years. So kind of like the, the recent Austrian film history. Uh, and I was thinking, like, what films would that be? It's actually a pretty, pretty interesting question. So I, I made this list of 20 films for him. Yeah? And some of those films I really like. And some of those films I really hate. Or let's say I have a certain disdain for them, let's call it that way. Yeah? And, and one of those films, and that is now directly connected to, to Rat's Nest, which is my new film, is there is one film, or there's one filmmaker who is... Uh, uh, at least in the Austrian scene of filmmakers, very well known, but also internationally. So he he has his premieres at Cannes Festival and stuff like that. So he's like internationally known. Uh, I mean, usually if you think about Austrian filmmakers, you think about Michael Haneke or like uh, Ulrich Seidel and, and, and those guys. But there are a couple of people. And he's kind of like 
in, in the same same realm. And his name is Nicholas uh, Geierhalter. So Nicholas Geierhalter is his name. And he's doing a very specific kind of art house film. And it's very slow uh, documentaries most of the time. Yeah, actually mm -hmm. only documentaries. And there is never a soundtrack. Uh, there are never really any, most of the time, any people in the documentaries. Uh, for example, he did one film about uh, food production where you see like minutes and minutes of like uh, food producing machines and machinery or like uh, he has this like drone shot where he he moves a drone behind a tractor that is plowing a field. And it's an incredibly long shot. I don't know, like three minutes or something, just like you see plowing a field. So he's super interested in just like long shots and everything. It's kind of, it's almost in, in, in a certain way, like pathos laden and, and slow. And, and one of the films that I put on the list for my friend is called Homo Sapiens. And Homo Sapiens became somewhat the blueprint or the thing that I wanted to satirize or or or, or emulate in, in Rat's Nest. And it's this film, so, so Homo Sapiens is this film where he traveled around the world and uh, he had this like one minute shots. The camera is not moving, no panning or anything, just like uh, static shots of rundown buildings. You see like a rundown a shopping mall from the inside in the US, or you see a rundown uh, convention hall in Yugoslavia, in former Yugoslavia, or you see, um, I don't know, like a, a rundown uh, street near Fukushima where the nuclear accident happened, stuff like that. And it's called Homo sapiens because he wants to reflect about uh, what, what people do, but what will happen if people disappear and all this like crumbling buildings and all that stuff. So right. it's, it's a somewhat interesting film. But when I saw it in the cinema, I thought, why is this not a coffee table book? There's nothing ever moving, you know, like I, and, and, and of course he wants it that way and it's all good and fine. It's, it's his way of making movies and, and, and it's his style. And uh, yeah, I remember there was this fun moment. We, we watched it in this like super big, uh, on this super big screen uh, in a cinema in Vienna. And there is this shot that I mentioned of this like rundown shopping mall. And there is this like puddle of water and there's water dripping from the, from the ceiling, but almost nothing moves. And it's, it's going on and on and on that shot. And at some point a pigeon flies by and people in the audience started clapping because something was moving. <laughs> it was like a relief moment. My God, there's a, there's a pigeon flying by. <laughs> and, and, you know, so, but I put that film on the list of, uh, uh, for my friend because I thought it is a very specific kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's also a little bit also reflective of like a certain form of, of art house cinema and a certain form of art house cinema that many people in Austria like. So there is also mm. like funding money for that kind of stuff. And 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 I think because I did that and I and my brain dealt with the film and, and thinking about that, that became one of the elements uh, for my <laughs> my my shower epiphany of 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 Rot's Nest because I thought, hey, why not? Why not? Why not doing a movie that's actually two movies 
at once. I mean, so and and the story. Is, I'm not sure how much I can spoil, but but the idea mm -hmm. is that you have you have there's one layer, the visual layer of the film is this uh, kind of. I, I would probably even call it pretentious. There is this pretentious art house movie. Uh, uh, about this rundown area in Austria called Rohrwald, and it's really not far from where I grew up. So this is really like 20 kilometers from the place that I, I, I grew up. Uh, and so that's why I know it very well. And I know the area and I know the forest and I know the rundown villages and all that stuff. So, did, so did it call I'm, I'm, you Johannes? Yeah. <laughs> The place called to you when you were younger, when you found it? Oh, well, let's call it that way. Um, so because I grew up very close to it, uh, of course, you know, like in elementary school and, uh, and you know, like in, in general, people talk about the history of a place or the history of the district. So it's in mm. the same district as my hometown. And uh, in general the the legends and the history of my hometown and, and around my hometown are not super exciting <laughs> i remember i got a book in elementary school with the legends of my home district and i read them and most of them like 80 percent of them were just like incredibly boring <laughs> you know uh but but there were a couple of things that i remember i found super fascinating even like as a nine-year-old kid and one of those things was, uh, and still is, a place uh, in the Rohrwald forest, which is called the Swedish uh, holes or the Swedish caves. And they were really used in the 30 years war, 300 years ago, uh, by the local peasants to flee. They're kind of like this like earthen caves or earthen stables were, they're not very high, you can hardly stand in them, but people were hiding there from the invading Swedish uh, uh, army because in the 30 years war, Austria uh, was, was on the Catholic side and, uh, and Sweden was on the Protestant side. And, and so there was a lot of carnage and raping and pillaging and everything. And so many, many uh, peasants tried to, to, to flee from the villages to hide somewhere. And so I remember learning about that story of like these like small caves where people were hiding from the Swedes. And I mean, it's kind of weird because nowadays, we, if we think about the Swedes, we think about good healthcare and stuff like that. <laughs> and they were kind of like a superpower. And the and 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 so and that the Swedes actually invaded Austria was also very strange for me as a kid. And and there's also this castle called Castle Kreuzenstein. And the Swedes blew it up and then they rebuilt it in the 1800s. And so there, there are a couple of things connected to that Rohrwald region that I always found super fascinating. And that's pretty much like the second thing that came into my mind when I thought like, hey, maybe I should do something about arthouse films or like a satire of arthouse films. And maybe I could connect that to that Rohrwald region and, and the history of that Rohrwald region. And then I have like two components already that I would like to put together. And uh, and so, so yeah, and that led to the next step uh, that, that I thought, hey, why not doing a film that were the visuals 
are not really connected to what's going on on the audio level. So what you hear is not necessarily connected, at least for a certain time, to what's mm. going on on the visual layer. So the visual layer is this art house film, this um, whatever it is, uh, and the 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 audio layer is the audio commentary track. And I thought that might be a good idea to to have a story told pretty much as an audio play inside a film. Mm. So where the basic idea is that that you you have the kind of asshole director of the fictitious art house film being interviewed to to create an audio commentary track for the Blu-ray or the DVD or whatever it is. And so the director is interviewed by a journalist in this LA sound studio. And he's um, accompanied by uh, by his camera guy and his producer. So you have this conversation between the camera guy, the producer, uh, the director, and the interviewer who, who guides through the process and wants to create a good audio commentary track uh, about the film. And so for me, it was uh, kind of an interesting way of like, on the one hand, making fun about uh, uh, like art house films, but also making fun about the, the movie scene or the indie film scene in general. So it's definitely a, a form of satire. Mm. But at the same time, I wanted to do more than that. So I thought like, hey, maybe the satire uh, about audio commentaries and about filmmaking could move or morph into something different. Uh, and, uh, uh, and that will actually happen. So, so it is a horror film. It is a horror comedy, mm. I, I would call it. But uh, after half an hour or something like that, I'm not sure how much I should spoil, but after yeah, half well, an hour... No, if you don't spoil it, because yeah, yeah. the way it unfolds, right? Because here's the thing, Ines, right? The visuals are interesting, right? They are interesting, but the way you then frame it with this commentary track, because it feels like, right, you are kind of poking fun at pretentious, you know, directors and things like that. But then also you have this reviewer come in and it's the thing that always gets me when sometimes you see films or you go to art galleries and you've heard the artist talk and someone's like, oh, well, obviously they're talking about this, you know, situation with life and death. And the director has said something completely different, but they're trying to put this thing on it. Right. Yeah. And put the reviewer going, oh, it's but he's just like, no. What are you talking about? Did you watch the film? And that's just hilarious. Because there's so many times when you, you know, hear people interview and you're just like, wait, have they watched the film? Like, what are they yeah. talking about? And so that was, it was just, you know, taking this look at the craziness of this whole industry, which was fun. And that, just that was engaging. But then when you throw in that next thing, I thought I thought like I mean I, I thought there has to be happening something more than that so of course I mean you could probably not for 80 minutes or 81 minutes like I did it but I think that you, you write the satire of reception of film or talking about film itself uh, like 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 works 
Uh, but mm. I thought like, I would like to, to, to level up. I would like to, why not use the audio commentary track to actually have a plot, have something happen that's beyond the, the, the mere just like satire of audio commentary tracks. Just like use it almost like an audio play. Yeah, yeah, that, that's mm. what I, I try to do. Yeah. And of yeah. course, I try to interweave that because uh, how, how the director talks about the film and what he wants it to be in the end becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy mm. that, that that happens uh afterwards but 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 i mean you're 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 right we probably shouldn't do too much spoiling but uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was yeah just super fun because with these things you know i never read the synopsis beforehand or look at the trailers I want to come in fresh and yeah. so you get to you know watch something like this oh man going in with no information is so much fun right yeah, yeah. I, and, I, I agree and yeah I could do that after masking threshold right because again like AJ hit me up right and I look over the, the these past few years when AJ hits me, I know it's going to be something pretty great, right? <laughs> and so the fact that she like, introduces us with Masking Threshold and that just being just so different, right? So different. So it was just, I cannot wait to see what Johannes has got. And this, man, I loved it. I yeah. really... it's, it's, it's fun because people... Of course, because so many people loved Masking Threshold, and but Masking Threshold is also it, it is strange. It is on the one hand, it's completely different than 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 Rat's Nest. Mm. Uh, just the tone is different because Rat's Nest is basically like a comedy or a satire, at least to a certain degree. And and Masking Threshold has elements of black humor in it, but it's like a straight straightforward drama. Uh, and and so Rat's Nest is like different just because it has a different tonality or or like or, or is 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 funnier, of course. But it definitely also shares kind of like a little bit of DNA, I would call it. <laughs> it uh, and specifically, of course, that in Masking Threshold and in Rat's Nest, uh, the audio element is incredibly important. Yes. So in, in, in Masking Threshold, all the noises and the, t the tinnitus that you're hearing and and, and glimpsing the, the inner monologue of, of the guy who goes insane. This is, of course, very, um, uh, very, very spoken word driven. But at the same time, there is a visual, visceral, a visceral element to, to, to Masking Threshold that's also gory that, that is not present in Rat's Nest. But I, I try to be... Uh, spooky in a different way with with uh, rat's nest because uh i can say that of course the layer of the audio commentary track and the layer of the the visuals of the art house film they're of course two completely different layers but at the same time and people can think about it whatever they want to interpret uh how they want to read it or see it uh the, the audio layer and the visual layer in Rod's Nest, at a certain point, they, 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 they start interfering or they start uh, like not, not exactly completely hooking up, but there are moments when you think 
okay, there is something going on between the visuals and, and the mm. audio layer, but it's yeah. not that obvious. It's not that straightforward. Yeah. Mm. And I think the other thing about both of these, right, you've done something that we don't usually see or we've not seen, right? Because, you know, and that's it's not because you're right in front of me right now, but I honestly hadn't seen anything like Threshold and I haven't seen anything like Ratterness, right? These are these feel like completely unique visions, which there is just this joy in our being able to see something unique, something different, right? Because we so many times we see someone's version of the meat cue right someone's version of the monster horror right which there's nothing wrong with that and seeing someone else's interpretation of something often gives us something really like when you look at alien being psychological and then aliens being an action movie yeah so great both films are fantastic but so different right so that's great, but when you see something completely different, right, it blows people, like when people saw the Blair Witch, it was just like, yo, what, when Cloverfield, you know, there, there's certain films that just made people go, yo, you know, the yeah. first Jaws, the thing, right, all of these different things that were kind of the first of their kind, right, there's, there's a greatness of that. And these two films, Right, it feels yeah. like I, 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 I don't know how to handle this compliment. This is like <laughs> you, you, you're putting me in the same category as all these like enormously great and, and wonderful films. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, but it is, it is so different, right? It is so different. So it's just like either your shower does something completely different than anyone else's. Because if that shower made you think of this, it's just like, yo. <laughs> I, I could rent out the shower for a lot of money. <laughs> for like, you, you want to get inspiration? Get in my shower. There it is. <laughs> oh, by the way, here in the back, that's the cross from Rat's Nest. Ah, I wonder. From, 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 the, yeah. from, the from the final scene in, in, in the very end. And uh, so for all the people... Who have not seen it yet it won't do any spoiling for you but uh, i have to say that this like in this end scene there is this cross and i actually made it because that 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 uh, like place of pilgrimage doesn't really exist in in uh, in, in, in real life so I, I made it up so i had to make a cross for it and uh, it took me it was a really good good job for like a whole day i was like thinking like how can i make a cross and how does it look it was a really like hands-on uh i was my own uh props department and uh, i'm very happy with how the cross <laughs> worked out all right so yeah because i know you you were making a lot of the stuff with threshold so you know once again you're back in the studio making stuff yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, and I'm very, I'm very happy. The thing is um, that because of Masking Threshold last year, I had a couple of uh, really cool conversations also with, with uh, uh, big players in, in the industry. So I had a couple of, of um, super interesting Zoom conversations. And uh, there, there are a couple of people and, and studios 
uh, interested in what I'm doing and they want to read my scripts. And of course, you never know what will happen out of that. But it was also for me, Rot's Nest was such a contained movie because I had the idea I could write it myself. Uh, I, I called uh, Flo and two of his friends, Feline and, and, and Ronald, uh, and we went to, to the Rohrwald region for three, four days. We shot there. So it was a super short shot, you know? And, uh, and then we were in the audio studio for the voiceover, the audio commentary track for probably like two days or something like that with my, my, my actors. And, uh, then there was a little bit of audio editing. And then I was pretty much like sitting alone in my room and editing the film. So it was very contained. We were a, a crew of like 10 people or something like that, all in all, you know? And that makes it so great for me and easy to kind of like control my vision because the very mm. moment I saw that when I had my conversations with the studios, the very moment you have people or um, a lot of more money involved in the production, so it's of course great. Everyone wants that. Of course, I want a good production value and good money for making a, a great film, you know. Uh, but at the same time, of course, you also you kind of like give up certain ideas that are not feasible in that kind of environment. For example, so if I would have pitched Rot's Nest to any of those guys, they would have said like, "That sounds great, but we can't do that. This does no." Great idea, but not no thank you. Yeah, so uh, so it was it was great to kind of like do something. I wouldn't even say quick and dirty, but it was something that was. Uh, I had an idea. I could pull it through. I'm very happy with it, and uh, it wouldn't have happened in any other way. I would mm. say, like the very moment, the same thing happened with Masking Threshold. If I would have gone to a producer, or even in Austria, went through the whole rigmarole of you know like going to 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 the big funding institutions and having the script checked people would have said to me no you can't do a film that's like 70 percent macro shots and you never see the face of the protagonist that's mm. not how it's done you know and uh, so masking threshold and rotsness both they came out of a certain let's call it the luxury of not having one sitting there and breathing down my neck and telling me what to do and how you should do a movie and how not. Yeah. And I, I see that because at the moment I'm working on a couple of scripts and I have a lot of dramaturgs and, and I have people giving me feedback all the time. And it's interesting to see that then they say like, why are you doing this? This is just like, and I find it incredibly hilarious and great. And it's one of, one of the great elements of the film. And the first thing they do is like, they, they cut it out, you know, like that's not that we can't do that. This is weird. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I, uh, <laughs> I would like to do a weird film with a big budget, but it will probably never happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it's having to get people to buy the vision. That can be difficult at times. Yeah. Because now, sometimes it's hard, you know, because you have it in your. Yeah, same thing with Rat's Nest. So I have a couple of friends who I can just call and say, hey, I have this crazy idea. Do you have like a thousand bucks for me or so or two? Because I know they have good IT jobs or something like that. So it's easy for them mm. to just like give me a little bit of, you know, like, like uh, 
uh, like micro Kickstarter, you know, for me. And of course, I got a little bit of funding money uh, for Ratzenest as well uh, from the city of Vienna. But I remember this one guy who who used to give me kind of like two or three thousand euros or something like that for films. I told him about Ratzenest, and he said like, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot envision how it looks like. It might. I don't know. This time you get a thousand bucks, you know. <laughs> and I thought, like, oh my god! And it's it was so clear in my mind, and so so it, it it's strange. It's I think that Ratsnest was is super close to what I had in mind when I started working on it, but it's so hard to to explain people how things will work out as a finished product if it's mm. something that is kind of strange, you know, or like. Uh, kind of out there yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah now when you were doing the the film shoot huh? was it just nutella for those three days <laughs> no 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 inside inside joke for all the people who will watch my film they will know uh, why 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 you're asking me about nutella no it was not nutella but close to close to right Okay, <laughs> but but it's fun. I mean, I mean, part of the satire element of the film is that they are. Uh, I I can pretty much tell that they are. Uh, they are hiring an Austrian camera guy. They found on Facebook because they need an Austrian team member so they can apply for funding money in Austria which is like one of these things that you kind of know when you make films it's always so weird you have mm. to kind of like adapt and uh, and 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 sometimes certain uh, movie grants have certain quotas so you have to have at least like uh, two female um, uh, people in the crew and stuff like that so there's there's all these like things that you have to do to get grant money uh, and I, I really wanted to put in there and and there is this and, and the, the crazy kind of like asshole director of the film is always like shit talking the poor camera guy uh who who honestly like i mean if it, it's only on the fictitious level because we were we had three camera guys uh shooting for three days uh to to make the film possible yeah but in the in the fictitious storyline it's this one guy who shot all the footage for the entire film and this is really quite something. If you see the film, doing that in three days alone mm. is, is, is quite something. And then you have this like stupid idiot director who is always criticizing him and, and doesn't even want to pay him the, the, the plane ticket to the premiere. And, <laughs> and yeah, yeah yes, I, I, but I have to say, like, I know people like that. I mean, mm. if, you, if you know people in the film scene, you also know many people who are not pleasant to work with, yeah. Mm. When when you wrote this, right? Uh -huh. Because there are those fun little bits in the conversation, you know, about oh, you know, you gave me no direction. Be like, but you had the, you found the vision. I helped you, and it was yeah. that whole craziness and stuff like that, right? Which is fun. It's great. It is so amusing to hear. But was there ever the kind of thinking of, ah, oh, I, if I write this, maybe thingy thing might think it's about them, or you oh, know, is this too close to the bone? 
honestly, I hope I hope that some people will see themselves. There are actually quotes of people I know, of people who said some of those things in interviews. <laughs> so there are live quotes of other directors that I put in there. Just yeah, and also very interesting. Uh, mask. There is a connection between masking threshold and rut's nest. Uh, the thing is that. Uh, I got lots and lots of reviews of, of Rotten Nest. And I'm still knocking on wood. I'm still at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Uh, but it's only like 10 reviews or something like that. At some point, someone will not like it and then it won't be 100%. But I'm not that obsessive about it. But the thing is, so I had like around 50 or so reviews. And there were like only two or three reviews that were really, really negative, that really did not like or really kind of like attacked masking thresholds and there was one reviewer from Ireland who saw it online and he was really asking so how is this even a movie why this is not a movie it does not fulfill the criteria of a movie you know it is just like an audio play or something or so he was really like attacking all the things that I specifically created or really found super interesting to to do that as a movie he hated it and and, and and attacked it. And there is actually a couple of quotes from that review in in Rut's Nest, where, where, the, where the director in Rut's Nest kind of like says some of those lines in, in the review, because uh, the, the whole thing is about uh, that, that the director in Rut's Nest uh, wants to wants the audience to to kind of like absorb the images and so he doesn't want to explain anything that's yeah. that's what connects him to to this uh Geierhalter guy I was talking about you know he he doesn't want any commentary he wants the the images to speak for themselves you know but of course the images can never explain anything on that level that he intends to so there is this you just see like rundown farms and he wants you to see the history of the 30 years war and the history of war so so this is kind of like the pretentiousness that he thinks that everyone will see all these like things mm. in the film and, and no, no no people just see you like yeah there's just like some chicken and a rundown farm what what is this you know and and at some point he says like uh that Film is a visual medium. It is. Uh, uh, it is. I mean, anyhow, like, and he talks about film as a visual medium, and that that is that is pretty much like exactly uh, from the bad review about Rat's Nest, where he complains that film is a visual medium, and it should work as a visual medium and not so heavily depend on audio commentary and and voiceover and stuff like that. And I thought, like, that's perfect. I mean, my next film is obviously, again, using audio as, as, as a very important level of the film. But at the same time, the film itself is pretty much like fulfilling what the, the reviewer wants. He wants a visually driven film. But that's also what I criticize. So I thought that it's fun to put it in there. Hmm. Yeah, no, that definitely right that that whole yeah they it was so much fun just the, the yeah. whole audio track recording segment yeah. of the film. <laughs> I, I i wonder what what people will because i mean the film is definitely 
also, I mean, I guess someone like you is definitely getting a kick out of it because you probably understand some of the references. You might you might know some of the directors I'm quoting or or, or films that I'm referencing. That's that's you know like the that's that's mm. that that's your daily bread. Let's call it. Uh, I wonder what people think about the film, and we will see. I mean, not many people have seen the film so far because it didn't have a premiere yet but I wonder what people will think about the film that don't know too much about the film scene that don't know that are not you know like movie nerds you know will it still work for people who are not movie nerds I mean what what, what, what do you think does it yeah I, I think it will right because you know as I said earlier right the amount of times I've gone to an art gallery Right, and you 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 stand back and you hear people be like, right. I mean, obviously, I, I you can see the artist having a mental breakdown in this in this picture and the piece and how they framed it. And then you'll read the blurb on the wall. And it's like I created this in the happiest time of my life, and <laughs> you know what I mean. And then, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. will stand there and try like they'll it's usually talking to one of their friends and they'll be like you know basically on a pulpit preaching to them and going oh well obviously yes you can see this and oh it means this so i i think you know what i mean like whatever kind of background you're from you know whether it's literature you know ah there's always that thing Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. where people are trying to tell you it's this, or someone's going, No, the point of this is this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you'll be able to understand what's going on, right? Even yeah, yeah. if you don't know some of the directors referenced or the films or, or that kind of thing, you still can understand the situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like that, sounds good. I, I, I. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Now, we'll, we'll, honestly, I mean, I'm I'm in a very interesting, exciting moment right now because the premiere is in two weeks, and and that's around also the time when the first reviews come in. There has not been a single review published yet, so I've I've, I've not even seen anything. So I'm 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 just like waiting for for someone to move <laughs> and write something <laughs> and i'm of course very very excited to 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 see how people read it decipher it what they take out of it yeah we'll we'll see mm. so is that always the kind of feeling at this point like this anticipation this hopefulness like of what might come the reception sure yeah of course and it's also i mean will will yeah will people I mean, to a certain degree, I'm not. I'm not sure I can talk for all artists or all people who do creative work. But of course, we do something to to. I I, I wouldn't be so 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 romantic to say like that. We all want to be loved or something like that. But what 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 definitely is true is that I think most artists want to do something because they want to evoke a certain reaction or a certain emotion or if people would come and say like ah i mean rat's nest was was great but the jokes were so bad i couldn't laugh i would i would feel that that i failed you know like uh or or if uh because i mean like i i, I i'm not sure we, we talked about that but i 
during our last conversation, but but I think that films are a little machines, you know, like little emotional machines, and and you make them to 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 do something in other people. Mm. You want to make them laugh. You want to make them uh, scared. You wanna you wanna give them a perspective about something they probably haven't thought about. And of course, if that fails, if 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 your if your goal, if your self set goal doesn't work out and you read all the reviews and no one is actually seeing what you wanted them to see then then it's kind of hard of course uh i'm very happy that it didn't happen with masking threshold and with masking threshold i already had the feeling of like jesus i it is exactly what i wanted it to to be but will anyone like this? <laughs> you know, and I'm at the same point here with Rotsness. Same thing. I'm very happy with what I made, but uh, but I'm I'm only one part of the story. You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I remember with Threshold, there was that difficulty of of trying to submit it to festivals because people didn't know where to put it. Yeah, and it was you just needed someone to take that chance and and show it, right? Which you know, thankfully, some people did. Now, is is it the same situation with this one, or is it because of the reception of the of the last film that you found that that has opened up these doors for you now? Oh, definitely. I, I think uh, especially in the, in the horror film community and horror film genre festival space uh people were super excited that i already sent them a new film you know so and uh, i i can't talk about it yet because they all have press embargoes but i've already been uh, accepted at at least like like four other festivals you know nice. and three three of them are in the genre space and one of them is an art house film festival which is also great like uh which is uh, which, which, which makes me super happy that i make a satire of art house film and and an art house film festival uh screens it that that i'm that makes me super happy but at the same time of course i wouldn't even say that rot's nest is entirely only a satire of art house film in a certain way it's also a satire of certain genre tropes mm. uh but but uh and then, of course, it tries to take that and, and put it into a completely different direction, where at the end, it's not really a satire of anything anymore. It's just like its own story that unfolds. So, but, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, it is definitely that, that, that I'm, I'm in the mind space of like, oh my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, no, that I think the thing of it, right? Though you you essentially you know created an art house film as the the vehicle for you know what we have, like in the conversation, it's I, I kind of feel it's more general, right? It's like it could be any type of film, right? Yeah. That type of director trying to take credit for everything and not wanting to you know what I mean like yeah. you you have that across the board you know yeah. and then yeah. the reviewer again 
right? You you have that type of person all over the place who's saying things that don't really make any sense or wants to sound profound when it, they haven't really said anything. Yeah. And, 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 and it's also is also kind of like I, I wanted to to incorporate that element that 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 she's all, she's a fangirl of the director and realizes that he's a complete asshole, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and uh, and yeah, no, it's, it's fun. But I have to say, I, I'm 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 super excited with all with all uh, like how the whole uh, like the performance uh, uh, turned out to be because uh, uh, there 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 are some actors in 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 the film that I've been working uh, for 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 a long 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 time. Uh, for example, that guy. Actually, here I have it here. That's. That's actually a prop from Masking Threshold. Ah. That's the that's the that's the dad because in Masking Threshold he has this abusive dad, mm. and, uh, and and that's that's the prop of, of of the picture of the abusive dad in Masking Threshold. That's a good friend of mine, uh, Roland. Uh, mm. I'm working with him. He's part of our art group since 2006. So we do um, theater plays together. We write scripts together. So he's an old and dear friend, and uh, I casted him. As the uh, the cam the Austrian camera guy, uh, and he says I typecasted him because he is able to make this like horrible grunting noises of like, <laughs> <laughs> and it is true. It is true. He has this like guttural, you know, like uh, so. I'm, I'm not telling you why that is important, but it is important in the film. So so I I I immediately knew I he's the guy. He's the guy for the camera guy. And uh, and I also knew uh, that I needed uh, uh, Michael, and Michael Smulik is the, the actor who plays the director. And he is from South Africa. He lives in Austria for like, I don't know, like 25 years or something like that. But he grew up in, in South Africa. He knows the scene there. Uh, he has still uh, the South African accent if he wants to speak in uh, in English. So so that was great. And also he's just like I I, I I saw him in a couple of theater plays and performances where he plays the bad guy or where he plays like some unpleasant character. And I thought like ah oh, that's great. I need a guy from South Africa who can play an unpleasant South South African guy. So so Michael Michael was cast and I'm I'm also very happy with him <laughs> and the cool thing is that all the other performers uh i worked with the guy who plays the sound uh technician uh before jim libby he's he's oh. also he's he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's he's yeah he's also like in connection with that guy also very important in the film and uh, so I've, I've worked with him before uh for an audio recording so i knew he's he's good uh but all of those guys, like Michael and uh, and uh, Jim, uh, they are part of this improv theater group uh, in Vienna called English Lovers. Right. And uh, I didn't work with Sophia or Anne uh, before, but I asked Michael and Jim, so do you have any recommendations for two actresses that could play the, um, uh, the, the interviewer and uh, the producer? And they said, like, yeah, of course, we have to ask Sophia and we have to ask uh, Anne. And I completely trusted them. And I knew they are working together for many, many years. So they are kind of like a, uh, a, a team. They, they just, 
and, and some of the stuff in the film is improvised even. So oh, it's, okay. so yeah. And uh, it's some of the reactions and some of the things I thought like perfect. And so I had this kind of like very well working group of four people and uh, my friend Roly that I work together with all the time <laughs> and which also worked perfect because Roly is also the outsider in the group because he is the, the, the Austrian camera guy they just hired for, for the grant money, you know, and, and he's in the film also the outsider that no one really likes. <laughs> so I thought that's perfect. Having like the, the four guys who work together all the time, plus my role. <laughs> and, and I'm happy, happy with my decision. Oh uh, man. Yeah. The, the cast are great because that is the big thing with this, right? It, only really works if you have the right voice cast and everyone has to be able to deliver it can't if it's just a great director performance mm -hmm. it's still not going to work right because yeah. everyone has to play off of each other so yeah. it, it's all of that just comes together really well to really just give this film that next level Right. So, yeah, great job with the casting. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you think so. And I know you watch a lot of films, so I take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. It's, inter it's interesting. Uh, a question for you, mm -hmm. uh, because you watch so many films, also many indie films, you know. Uh, uh, is it for you always clear from the very beginning in the film that, for example, that you don't like the performance of a certain character? Or do you also see films where some like a character, like like a, like a, an actor, kind of like has a has a low start and and really and really gets going and has a great finish or something like that, or is it usually very consistent when you see like nah that guy can't act and or does that change sometimes? It does change, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can definitely change. I think sometimes it depends on you coming into the film uh -huh. right because if you're if, if it's just been a crazy day and you're just tired right sometimes you come in in a certain mood and you can just be like ugh, like this ain't working what's going on with the film but then after you've kind of you know it's been a, like 15 20 minutes now you're into the flow of it and you're just like oh right i see what's happening uh -huh. here uh -huh. right there's sometimes when you watch a film and you're like what's going on with that person like yeah. that's just everyone else is great but that's such a weird performance and yeah. then like as the film unfolds you find out something about the character and be like oh of course they're gonna be like that because that fits in with you know what i mean so it, it really depends like sometimes yeah you hate you will hate someone out the gate you just be like Ugh, I hate that character. But as the film unfolds, you kind of like, oh, I really, it's like, um, you know, have you seen Memento? Mm -hmm. Right? And in fact, I remember watching Memento and you feel bad for Guy Pierce's character. You'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Ah, oh, this must be so difficult. And as the film goes on, you realize who, what kind of person is. And you're like, what about shit? Oh, I can't believe I felt bad for that guy. Fuck that guy. You know what I mean? So I think that's the great thing about storytelling and the way yeah. that, you know, there's times and yeah, you can love someone, hate them, you can be indifferent, 
but then they become the hero of the piece. Yeah, yeah, right? uh, so yeah. It, it, it really can depend, but then also, right, it, obviously it, it's down to that actor being able to give us that kind of performance and really kind of temper it in that way. But then you've got like the director and the, you know, the, the screenwriter being able to create that ambience for the person to be able to do what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, there's so many components of this, right? There's yeah, yeah. definitely been films where it just doesn't work. It yeah. doesn't work at all. Now, sometimes I feel I feel so strange because there, there are some films where where so many critics seem to have the same perspective on it. So mm. there, uh, so uh, sometimes I guess it's also kind of like almost like a like like a mass phenomenon that everyone is now hating on one specific film or something like that. But there there are so many films that I know where the general consensus seems to be it's a bad film, but I really like it. Or sometimes there are uh, uh, sometimes specific performances of, of, of actors or actresses are kind of like singled out as specifically bad in the film or something like that. Mm. And I watch the film and I see like, I don't, I don't get why everyone is hating on that, on, on that performance. So I, I, I don't get it. And sometimes I feel like, don't I just see it? I, why why mm. do I not see it? But I don't know. It's just like, I mean, I guess, especially about film, it's all so subjective. And so so you, you said yourself, like, sometimes you're just in a bad mood, but strange, yeah? Yeah. I, I think there is a hive mind at times, right? So there's certain reviewers, right, who are very big, And they will talk about a film in a certain way. And then suddenly, right, they have callings to the show. And everyone now is saying the same thing, right? Like, there's people that hate Michael Bay, right? They say yeah. Michael Bay is a terrible director. I'm like, I love The Rock. I think The yeah. Rock is great. Con Air is great. Michael Bay also is the producer of a really great film, Remember the Titans. Right? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. American football film. It's fantastic. He's the producer on that film. Michael Bay is not a shit director, right? No, no. You might not enjoy all the things he's yeah. done, but he's done some really good things, right? And yeah, he, and, and absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I think he, he exactly knows what he wants. I mm. mean, he is creating, he is like, I think at some point you can debate if a film is bad when, when, when a director tries to do something and fails in doing that. Or like, mm. if, if there, for example, yeah, if you make a comedy and it's not humorous, then maybe there's something wrong, you know, probably. Yeah? But Michael Bay films, they are what they are. You know, like he wants, they're fun, they're, they're, they're loud, they are bombastic, and, mm. and he always delivers. So there's no, no complaint here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I didn't like the, I, li I thought the first Transformer film was fun, right? There's nostalgia. I just yeah. remember Transformers as a kid and seeing these things actually come to life, as it were. That was fun. The other films I didn't enjoy. Yeah. Right? But, but that's also the, 
the entire problem of like just like milking a cow until yeah. she dies or something hmm. i don't know yeah. yeah yeah but there's a load of people that did enjoy them right and every film doesn't have to be for me yeah. right that's the big thing like there's so many films that i enjoy so i'm like if that's not for me fine you know what i mean but i think you can always talk about things like when the, what i try and do with this is even if i don't like something right unless it's completely offensive uh-huh. right and offensive in like oh man there, there was a film and the way it like they talked about race in a certain way and mm-hmm. it just pissed me i was just like what the fuck are you doing right yeah. but it says you know it, offensive that you know that's what I what I mean with that. If it's like trying to, if it talks about a subject in a way that's just so just off key, right? That will piss me off, and I will say it. But otherwise, there's usually an element of the film that I kind of feel like, man, the cinema. I love the cinematography of that film, or the soundtrack was crazy. The way it really invoked these emotions, or there's certain performances that really work. And then you know what I mean. I like to go. Look, it wasn't for me, but if you enjoyed this film and this film, I think this will connect with you. Yeah. Right? Because I just feel, you know, you spend so much time in creating these things. You know what I mean? It's just like, I think people see a 90-minute film, a two-hour film, or whatever length, and think, oh, that was it. Right? But they don't think of the months of pre- and post-production. Right, yeah. the casting process, the location hunts, the you know, I mean, just all of those other things. They don't think about that. And I'm very conscious that you mean people have spent all this time. And regardless of if I like it or if I don't, that person had the courage to create something and put it out there for people to oh, yeah. the, the the existence of a film. Just itself, like not even talking about the quality, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just secondary that there is that a person made a film, you know, mm. is 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 a wonder by itself. Yeah. So many things can go wrong. It's just like it's a creating a film, something as 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 as, as dense as like an 18-minute, 90-minute film. It takes such an enormous amount of time. I mean, I, I worked pretty much like for five months straight, nothing but making Rod's Nest, you know, because I, I didn't have any any other big projects to do so I could focus on that. Mm. But that was really like occupying my mind and and, and planning and doing for, for five months straight. And and there are so many people who say like, ah, oh my God, that's a bad film and blizzard. It's like, no, it exists. It it's it's a testament of fighting entropy, you know. Mm. <laughs> it is like out of nowhere something, you know, and that by itself is just like an, an enormous. Uh, it's a it's 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 a medal by itself, having oh, done that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. and you know having the opportunity to have these sort of conversations with so many different like actors actresses directors producers writers cinematographers right it is fascinating everyone's got a different process 
right? And, but the big thing that always just really comes through is the effort and the love that everyone is putting into this, right? So for you to come along and just completely shit on it, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, not enjoying something is fine, but to be malicious. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's the thing that I find weird. The and you know, I've listened it, to it's a disrespect. lot. Of... It is it is disrespectful. Like you mm. can enjoy something or not, but but it's disrespectful of other people's um effort. Let's yeah. call it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and be like, hmm. I would have done this and <laughs> oh I can't believe they did that it'd be like but what have you done yeah. right they got up and made something what have you done yeah right That's the big I, thing. I think it's it's, it's a side effect that that films are such a really like if if, if there are, there are only a few real mass media and and film is one of them because uh I mean I've been doing lots of artwork artworks and and work in the art field and exhibitions and all kinds of stuff. And I always quote my mom. My mom never came to one of my, my uh, exhibitions, my gallery exhibitions, because she always said, I don't know what to wear. You know, <laughs> there is this like boundary of like, I don't want to go into the gallery because I don't know, that's not, that's a weird space. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm kind of addressing that also with Rotsnest a little bit, but in general, there is, there is this kind of like strange force field around fine arts or certain elitist forms of art. Mm. And I always hated that. I always wanted to do something that people can easily approach. And, and with films, the great thing is nobody needs an introduction to a film. Nobody needs to, to read the, uh, uh, the sideline, you know, like the description or something like that. A film is like by itself a working entity, you know? And, and I think that is a great thing. I think that, that it is truly something that everyone everywhere can just like watch a movie and have an opinion about it. Or, or it, is, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't create any barriers. Uh, mm. It's just like maybe, maybe language, but then you also can have dubbing or, or subtitles or something like that. But I think, but because of that, because it is, it's such a ubiquitous, present thing that everyone has a relationship everyone has favorite films you know uh it's also something that where people try to forget because it's everywhere and we're surrounded by it all the time that people forget how much work there is in it mm. they, they, they 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 forget that it's an art form because yeah. it is so popular but it is an art form and there is no difference if michael bay makes a film or i make a film we are both creating an artwork, you know, like he is, he has, he has a better lawyer than I have probably <laughs> and better contracts, but, but still it's the same thing, you know? Mm. Well, yeah, I, I think like when you see all of the, you know, new films dropping on Netflix, Prime, Disney, you know, weekly, right? It, it was, there's, you know, like when everything locked down during the pandemic, Right, there was still films coming out. So I think a lot of times people just think, oh, you know, it doesn't take that long 
yeah. right? Things, you know, you can just, you know, and it, it, it's, it, you definitely notice that when film, similar films come out at the same time, right? Remember when, like, Armageddon came out and then you had, uh, oh, God, I can't think of the name of the goddamn film, but there was that other film, very similar. Oh, yeah, uh, oh, uh, Deep Impact. Yes, yeah, yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a time I think when two Snow White films came out around the same time, and I think there was two Robin Hood films that came yeah, out yeah. around the same. And people think, oh, one person saw it, and then the other one kind of wanted to make the same film. And you're like, no, that's, that's not what it's not what happens, right? It takes no. so long. To and, get- I mean, Armageddon and Deep Impact are completely different films. The only mm. thing that is the same is that there is like an asteroid impact. Yeah. <laughs> or almost. <laughs> or or yeah. in, one, in one it is, in the other not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I think people, yeah, have this thing that films are quick and simple, right? But it's, yeah, uh, yeah like these conversations help you understand everything that goes into it. Right, so you just want to be able to, you want to be able to give someone the opportunity to really talk about all of that, right? Everything that they poured into this thing, and people to understand that, yo, this film was this, you know, I mean, labor of love that is now out there, and you know, love it or hate it, it's there, and it's you know interesting that it's there yeah and we cannot forget that most of the like the most beloved films of film history were all you know like box office like meltdowns Mm. you know like failures like Blade Runner nobody wanted to see it (laughs) the thing one of the best horror films of all times the thing almost destroyed uh John Carpenter's career Mm. You know, it's just, uh, because it was so far out there and people didn't know how to deal with it. And and, uh, and sometimes it's also like, uh, you know, I mean, if, you, if you're competing with like E.T. in the same year, in the same segment of fantastic films, I mean, of course, you kind of lose against E.T. <laughs> because it was such a big thing back then. Mm. And, you know, but, but at the same time, yeah, we kind of like some, some of, the, of the best films ever were not received with an open with open arms and over the years because of VHS tapes or whatever they became classics you know and uh, so so I, I I wonder what are the films of the last five years that flopped and will be the classics of the future <laughs> mm, yeah I remember you know John Carter when that came out. Yeah, and it it was a it didn't make a lot of money, right? Yeah. But I remember when I watched John Carter, I really enjoyed John Carter, right? Yeah. I do like the the pulpiness of Edgar Burrow, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the thing that failed John Carter was the marketing for it, right? They spent a load of money on marketing, yeah. but it was all just didn't really tell you anything. Or like, and the fact is sometimes you don't need to tell someone this happens and this happens and this happens, but create an interest, like some intrigue. And it didn't do that. So then no one really 
gave a damn about the film. So I'm kind of curious that if over the years people look at John Carter differently, right? And just when, what, how, how long people. is when 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 was John Carter released? Is this like 15 years, 10? Something? Ooh, I think maybe 10 years. 10 years, okay. No. I'm, I'm really bad at some of that stuff. Sometimes I don't know exactly when something came out, but John Carter, no idea. No yeah. idea. <laughs> well, I thought we spoke in 2020, so you cannot trust my memory, Johannes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, man. Hey, so, you know, hey, and this is the thing. When we were talking about Threshold, you, yeah, I didn't know that this was coming, right? So, yeah. I remember. I think we we talked about uh, next time. Next time you, do, you you do something, let me know. Yeah. And and I honestly also did not expect that <laughs> that it would be that fast. That I would knock on the door again through AJ. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I think the question is: Is there anything else? Like you know, are we going to be well, talking? Five months, like there, there is. I mean, there is. There will be a film coming out pretty soon because I'm already working on it for a couple of years. So right. there's this. There's a documentary. It's not a. It's not. It's not fiction. It's a documentary, uh, and uh, it will probably be, be done by February next year, March next year, something like oh, that. So, and then I also don't know uh, because this is also different now because it's a documentary. Uh, I'm submitting it, of course, like to different film festivals because mm. documentary film festivals are a completely different uh, realm than than genre film festivals, and so I have no idea like how long it will take if who will be interested in seeing that. But it's a it's a very nerdy uh, uh, documentary because the backstory is I can give you. A, a, a brief, a brief. It, it's probably not an elevator pitch, but it's uh, a short, a short pitch. It's uh, a friend of mine lives in the small town in Colorado called Durango. It is like a Western cowboy town that is uh, living off the the, the Western uh, past of the region, and there are lots of tourists coming there, and there are you know, like cowboy shows and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's called Durango, Colorado. In, in southwestern Colorado, and my friend lives there. And he he started a couple of years ago a hackerspace, makerspace, where people can learn soldering and like this, like a little you know, like nerd nerd tinker space. Mm. And uh, when the whole COVID thing started, uh, he suddenly posted a lot of images of many people working in the co-working space. And so what happened was that the hospitals in the area. Uh, were completely overwhelmed with COVID patients. And so they needed equipment, especially specific kind of masks and, uh, and pepper systems for like that, that, that the doctors could talk, to, uh, almost like, uh, like ventilation systems for doctors so they can talk to patients, but also have, uh, are, are secure from the virus uh, and stuff like that. And because they didn't have any equipment, they asked, the hackerspace, can you help us with creating equipment for us? And mm -hmm. so that hackerspace was one of the first hackerspaces on the planet to make medical equipment for the hospitals. Uh, and they saved a lot of, lot of lives. So it's kind of like 
the story of like hackerspaces, do-it-yourself movements, but also of COVID and that specific region. Because mm. the question is like, I mean, there are like 40,000 people living in Durango. There are probably 50,000 people living in Farmington, which is like an hour south of Durango. And they were all like, and both hospitals were completely overrun by patients. Uh, and I asked, so wh where are all the people coming from? You're a very secluded area, you know, like there's, there's not that, I mean, it, you know, why so many patients? Mm. And then he told me a big part of the patients are coming from Navajo Nation. Uh, and they have lots of, you know, like uh, diabetes there and the yeah. health situation is bad. And, uh, and and then I got interested, and that might be an interesting story because it's not only a story about COVID and, and hackerspaces and making equipment, but it's also pretty much the story of America and colonialism and why are there reservations and why are uh, the living conditions and the social conditions in reservations so bad. So it's kind of like, yeah. a, it's like three stories in one that kind of like converge to one story. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the health inequality, right? That there's something that in my last role, yeah, we, we, you know, we were working a lot around that because, you know, there's marginalized groups and things like that, but also the way certain services are promoted and, and pushed out, it's not always very fair, no, right? No. So then you don't necessarily know it until something crazy like a pandemic or something like that happens, then exactly. you can really see well, how the fault lines of, of the system is not working. And mm. I mean, you're, you're, you're UK based, you know exactly what I'm talking about fault lines in the system, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, man. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, that'd be interesting, man. I'll definitely let you see it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Is, it, is there dialogue or is it just visuals telling the story? Oh, it is yeah. a lot of dialogue. It is a lot of dialogue. I'm, I'm kind of like starring in it because I realized that there are so many components and so many stories that are kind of like complex and you need to tell them in an entertaining way. So I'm almost... It, it, it's not exactly me, but there is someone in the film that looks like me that is kind of like the narrator or or like the the host of the show that keeps it all together mm. because i i realized uh i i don't get all the information that i need to tell out of the interviews because it's so complex and uh and i i, I don't want to write things down for people i interview could you say this line because i need yeah. this line you know, it doesn't work that way you know so i thought like hey maybe maybe i should play this like strange almost fictitious character that is leading through the story and can make commentaries and and can introduce people and uh, and tell stories that can be told like in three four sentences mm. but 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 it would be kind of like where do i get all that stuff so uh and so that's it, it works out pretty well it's fun because you almost never see my face because i'm wearing this like uh yellow hazmat suit ah. so you always see my eyes and i'm wearing this hazmat suit and walking around as this like narrator character but it's definitely me i mean it is me but it's also not me you know? <laughs> 
Uh-huh. See, now, if a big studio was funding that, it would be like, ah, we need you to take the helmet off at some point. We can't pay you all this money and not have people see and know it's you. So you've got to take the helmet off your hands. <laughs> horrible, horrible. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I think the interesting thing about that is that will be another, you know, new type of storytelling that we're seeing from you you know manifest well, it is it is it is close to uh i i, I think i i, I never I, I never told you about that but i did two documentaries before that are very unconventional so i did this one documentary about nerd culture it's almost like a road trip through the u.s where i talk to other nerdy people and nerdy characters and that is also very experimental. And I did another film called Glossary of Broken Dreams, which is also a very essayistic documentary where I have like puppets in them. And so there's, it's almost like, uh, it's a documentary where I try to explain the most important political terms at the moment. So I try to explain, because people don't know, everyone is you know, like, I, I hate capitalism, but mm. most people don't even know what capitalism is, or yeah. people talk about resistance, or they talk about privacy. And so I'm trying to explain those, like for me, the most important terms in current political discourse. I'm trying to explain them. It's almost like, uh, 10 or 11 short stories and they all have a different aesthetics. So for example, I'm talking about resistance and activism and, and it's almost like a puppet show where puppets explain what's going on. And then there is one segment that looks like a, a Japanese anime, like a manga style thing mm -hmm. when I'm talking about the media and the power of the media. So it's a, it's, it's a documentary, but at the same time, it's also not because it's my opinion and I'm presenting it in a certain way. But but I should send you a link to that. You should check it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it sounds fascinating. Now, yeah. where can people find this stuff, though, man? Let, so let actually, Trace Route, uh, Trace Route, that's the name of the, the nerd documentary and Glossary of Broken Dreams, they are... Uh, um, uh, I, I made the first one was released in 2016 and the second one in 2018 and they are both on Vimeo uh, so you can actually go to Vimeo and I think you can buy it there for $4 or something like that so that's easy to find Splendid, splendid and how can people find you, Johanna? Uh, with my stupidly long German name and I'm the only person with that stupidly long German name that is here you know <laughs> There it is. <laughs> if they just Google me, they'll find me. So it's uh, it's 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 hard to miss me on Google search. <laughs> oh man, fantastic! This has been another great conversation, man. It really has. Thank you so much for having me, <laughs> and uh, hope to see you again soon. And uh, um, well, what can I say? I, I I'm following your podcast, so so. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your great uh, conversations. Ah, thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And, and hey, anyone, like anyone in your collective, you know, if they want to, you know, or just let me know, man. Let me know. It would be, be a pleasure to talk. So. Absolutely. We'll do so. <laughs> thank okay. you so much. Yes. So, um, people, right? Definitely go check out the film. Go definitely check out the film. So you're at Fright Fest. 
Uh, so first, uh, Fantastic Fest is the first Fantastic, Fantastic Fest. And Fantastic Fest is the only one I'm at the moment allowed to talk about. <laughs> so, but that is really soon. That is, I'm not sure when you're uh, when when you are airing the program, but. Uh, but Fantastic Fest, the, 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 the virtual release of the film uh, will be on the 29th of September, 2022. So cool. that is pretty soon, yeah. Okay, you heard it, people. Go check it out. Follow your Hannes. He's on Twitter, he's on Instagram, Facebook. All the links will be in on the website. So go check Johannes and you will be able to then find out when uh, the film is dropping in a spot near you okay absolutely absolutely and i hope at some point for like uh, for, uh like in the uk of course and hopefully everywhere else <laughs> let's see yes. Knock on wood. Okay. <laughs> well yeah and it's, uh, you know another pleasure thank you very much and uh, uh, hey congrats on another great film thank you so much thank you all right, man. Looking forward to talking about the documentary in uh, a couple of months. <laughs> Let, let's see. Let's see. I'm not. I'm not. Not jinxing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. You take it easy. Okay. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. Bye. See, I told you, people. I told you, people. Right? How great is that? I Always a pleasure to talk to. Man, really appreciate him giving us his time. Another situation put together by the great AJ Berman. So thank you, AJ. Boy, this is a great episode, right, people? If I do say so myself, you know what I mean? Now, this is the end of part two. Remember, there is part one. So if you haven't already checked that out, we've got four films, a couple of Netflix joints, something from Prime, and something from Shudder. Yes, So, um, lot of fun. Lot of fun. Go check out part one. Share with people. You know can leave us a comment on social media or on YouTube. You know what I mean? That's all you think, right? And continue with the ride. We will see you next week. Thank you, people. Until then.